Part one, chapter two of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part one, chapter two. After breakfast, as Petronius called it, in spite of the fact that the friends sat down at table when simple mortals had long since finished their noonday meal, Petronius proposed a short nap. It was still much too early for visiting, he thought. There are, to be sure, persons who begin to visit their friends at sunrise, holding that the custom is sanctioned by antiquity and is truly Roman. But he, Petronius, considered it barbarous. The best of all times for visiting is afternoon, but not earlier than when the sun sinks towards the temple of Jupiter Capitolinus, and begins to throw oblique shadows on the forum. It is usually still very warm in the autumn, and people are fond of sleeping after eating. At this time it is pleasant to listen to the murmuring of the fountain in the great hall, and when one has taken the thousand obligatory steps to muse in the purplish light sifted through the purple of the half-drawn awning. Vinicius agreed with him. They walked up and down, taking in an off-hand way of the gossip from the palace on the Palatine and the city, and carelessly reasoning of life. After a time Petronius retired into the sleeping-room, but did not sleep long. At the end of a half-hour he returned, and when he had ordered Verbena to be brought him, began to smell it and to rub it on his hands and temples. "'Thou canst imagine,' said he, "'how stimulating and refreshing this is. Now I am ready.' The litters had already been waiting long. They took their seats and directed that they should be borne to the patrician quarter, to the house of Aulus. Petronius's villa was situated on the southern slope of the Palatine Hill, near what is called the Carinae. The shortest way thither lay through the Forum. However, as Petronius wished to visit Master Idomeneus's jewellery shop, he directed that they should carry them through the Apollonus quarter and the Forum in the direction of Scalaritus quarter, on the corner of which there were all sorts of booths. The stalwart negroes raised the litters and started on the way, preceded by slaves called runners. For a certain time Petronius was silent. He kept raising his verbena-perfumed palms to his nostrils, and was evidently thinking of something. Afterwards he said, It occurs to me that if thy forest nymph be not a slave, nothing prevents her from leaving Plautius's house, and taking up her abode with thee. Thou wouldst surround her with love, and shower riches upon her, as I do upon my divine Chrysothemis, with whom, between ourselves, I am satisfied, at least as well pleased as she is with me. Marcus shook his head disapprovingly. Why not? asked Petronius. If worst came to worst, the case would go to Caesar, and thou mayest be certain that, irrespective of my influence, our bronzebeard would take thy side. Thou dost not know Lygia, answered Vinicius. In that case permit me to ask if thou thyself knewest more of her than her appearance. Hast thou talked with her? Hast thou told her thy love? I saw her first at the fountain, and afterwards I met her twice. Do not forget that while I was in Aulus's house I lived in an extension intended for guests, and that with my dislocated hand I was not able to be present at the family table. Only on the eve of the day I announced my departure did I find myself with Lygia at supper, but I did not succeed in exchanging even a word with her. I was forced to listen while Aulus told stories of his victories in Britain, and after that to a discussion of the failure of the small estates in Italy, to prevent which Licinius Stolo was striving. 
in fact i do not know whether aulus is capable of talking of anything else and do not fancy that we shall be able to escape it unless thou preferest to hear about the effeminacy of the times they raise pheasants in their bird-house but do not eat them being convinced that with every pheasant eaten the downfall of the roman power is brought nearer the second time i met her by the cistern in the garden she had a reed in her hand the end of which she was dipping in the water and sprinkling with it the iris growing about look at my knees by hercules's shield they did not shake when the parthian rushed with howls upon our ranks but at the cistern they quaked and embarrassed as a boy who still wears an amulet on his neck my eyes alone prayed for indulgence as for a long while i was not able to utter a word petronius gazed at him with an expression almost of envy fortunate fellow said he no matter how bad the world or life may be there is one thing that remains eternally beautiful youth then he asked so thou didst not speak to her oh no when i had got myself a little under control i said i was on my way back from asia that i had sprained my hand outside the city gates but now that the time had come when i must leave this hospitable roof i was persuaded that to suffer under it was more delightful than to divert oneself elsewhere and to be ill there more consoling than to be in health away from it she followed my words herself confused her head bent down marking something the while with the reed on the yellow sand then she raised her eyes looked again at the lines she had drawn as if preparing herself to ask me something and then suddenly ran away like a dryad from a stupid fawn she must have beautiful eyes like the sea and i was drowned in them exactly as if in the sea believe me the archipelago is not so blue as her eyes in a moment plautius's little boy ran up and asked me something but i did not understand what he wanted o oh, minerva exclaimed petronius take from this youth's eyes the bandage with which eros has bound them lest he dash his head on the columns of the temple of venus then he turned to vinitius listen thou spring bud on the tree of life thou first green shoot of the vineyard better than take thee to the house of plautius let me order them to carry thee to the house of gelotius where there is a school for young men who know nothing of life i don't understand thee but what did she write on the sand was it the name of love or perchance a heart transfixed with his arrow or something of that sort by which thou mightest learn that the satyrs had already whispered the secrets of life in the nymph's ear is it possible thou didst not examine the marks from the time when i put on the toga more time had passed than thou thinkest answered vinitius before little aulus ran up i carefully examined the marks for well i know that the girls of greece and rome frequently write on the sand things which their lips know not how to speak however guess guess what she had drawn if it was not what i have supposed i will not guess a fish a, a what i say a fish does not that signify that cold blood still runs in her veins i do not know but thou who hast named me a springtime bud on the tree of life dost not thou in truth know better than i how to interpret this sign beloved ask pliny about that he knows everything about fish old apicius if he were still alive might perchance also be able to tell you something about it not for nothing did he during his life eat more fish than could be gathered together in the bay of naples the conversation was interrupted by the litters arriving in a crowded street where the noise of the multitude prevented further talk passing the apollinus quarter they turned to the boreum and thence to the roman forum 
the forum in fair days before sunset was filled with loiterers who assembled in multitudes to saunter among the columns to tell stories to learn the news to stare at the litters borne past with their distinguished occupants to rub shoulders in the jewellers shops in the bookstalls in the money changers in the shops where were sold silk bronze and every possible sort of thing the houses occupying a part of the market extending towards the capital were filled with these shops half of the forum under the cliffs of the fortress capital citadel was already plunged in darkness while the columns which adorned the temples above were drowned in a splendor of gold and blue the columns standing on a lower level cast their long shadows on the marble slabs so great indeed were the number of columns standing about everywhere that the eye lost itself among them as in a forest these buildings and columns seemed to have jammed themselves together they were piled one on the other they ran right and left they ascended the hills took refuge on the walls of the capital or clung one to the other like trees large and small thick and thin golden or white now blooming under the architrave with acanthus blossoms now ornamented with ionic spirals now capped with a simple doric square on the forest glistened colored triglyphs out of tympans stepped the sculptured figures of gods winged golden four-horse chariots struggled as it were to fly from their pediments into the air into the imperturbable blue which overspread this city of crowded temples through the middle and along the edges of the market surged the populace the throng as it wandered under the arches of the basilica of julius caesar or sat in the steps of the temple of castor and pollux or sauntered about the little temple of vesta resembled as it moved against this extensive marble background a variegated swarm of butterflies or beetles above along the enormous risseau on the side of the temple dedicated to jovi optimo maximo new waves began to surge the romans were listening to the orator on the platform in the rostrum square here and there the calls of the peddlers were heard as they sold fruit wine or water mixed with the juice of figs the invitations of the fakers praising wonder-working nostrums of diviners seeking out treasure of the interpreters of dreams somewhere above the noise of the conversation and the hawker's cries were to be distinguished the sound of the sistrum the egyptian sambuca or of grecian flutes in other places the sick the pious and the afflicted were bringing offerings to the temples among the people flocks of doves flew down on the marble pavement and threw themselves eagerly on the proffered grain like variegated or dusky spots in motion these flocks now rose in the air with a loud flutter of wings now again alighted in a place vacated by the crowd from time to time the people stood aside to make way for the litters in which were to be seen the painted faces of women or the heads of senators or patricians with features as it were congested and enfeebled by existence the multitude composed of members of many different tribes called to them by name adding a nickname a bit of ridicule or praise into the disordered groups at times companies of soldiers or guards enforcing order in the streets forced their way proceeding with measured tread on all sides greek was heard quite as frequently as latin vinitius who had not been in the city for a long time gazed with a certain curiosity on the human ant-hill and on the famous roman forum lording it over this multitude hailing from the four corners of the earth and at the same time submerged in it petronius divining his companion's thought called the forum the nest of knights without the knights indeed the real romans were completely lost in that throng composed of the representatives of every race and nationality 
in it there appeared for an instant inhabitants of ethiopia enormous light-haired denizens of the far north britons gauls and germans squint-eyed emigrants from ceres people from the euphrates and from india with brick-stained beards syrians from the banks of the orontes with black insinuating eyes dried out like bones nomads from the arabian deserts jews with sunken breasts egyptians with changeless indifferent smiles on their faces numidians and africans greeks from hellas who governed the city on an equality with the romans but held sway through science art wisdom and knavery greeks from the islands from asia minor egypt italy and narbonic gaul among the throng of slaves with pierced ears were not a few freedmen idle people whom caesar amused clothed and even fed at his own expense not a few voluntary immigrants had flocked here attracted to the huge city by the possibility of living without labor and by expectations of success and usurers and priests of serapis with palm branches in their hands priests of isis to whose altars were brought more offerings than to the temple of the capitoline jupiter and priests of cybele carrying in their hands the golden fruit of the maize and priests of wandering divinities eastern dancers in shining mitres vendors of amulets snake charmers and chaldean soothsayers and finally a considerable number of vagrants without any occupation who weakly turned to the storehouse on the other side of the tiber for bread who fought for lottery tickets in the circus spent their nights in chronically ramshackle houses on the quarter beyond the river and sunny warm days under porticoes in the filthy taverns of the subura on the milvian bridge or before the villas of the distinguished romans whence from time to time the leavings from the slaves table were thrown to them petronius knew the throng well from every quarter the cry it is he reached vinitius's ear petronius was beloved for his liberality but still more had his popularity increased after the romans learned that he had appealed to caesar for an annulment of the sentence of death pronounced against all the slaves of the prefect pedanius secundus without distinction of age or sex because one of their number driven to desperation had killed the tyrant petronius had to be sure stated in public that the case concerned him personally not at all and that he had gone before the emperor in his private capacity as the arbiter of elegance because while a barbarous slaughter of the kind was worthy of the scythians it was not of romans and offended his aesthetic sensibilities nevertheless the multitude outraged at the punishment adored petronius from that time but he did not care for this popularity petronius did not forget that britannicus whom nero poisoned was also beloved of the mob as well as agrippina assassinated at caesar's command and octavia who after her veins had been opened had been suffocated in a warm bath on the panditaria and rubellius plautus who had been banished and thrasia who lived in daily expectation of a sentence of death the disposition of the populace were consequently better counted as an ill omen and skeptic that he was petronius was superstitious his detestation of the multitude was twofold he detested it as an aristocrat and as a man of culture in his opinion those who smelt of dry beans carried in their shirts who were always hoarse and sweating from playing mora on the street crossing and in the peristyles did not deserve to be called human beings for this reason petronius giving no heed to the applause and the kisses wafted to him 
told marcus the story of the killing of pedanius and he ridiculed the fickleness of the street shouters who applauded nero as he was going to the temple of jupiter stator the very day after they had expressed their indignation at his tyranny at avernus's bookshop he ordered the litter to halt and descending bought an illuminated manuscript which he gave to vinitius here is a gift for thee he said thanks answered vinitius when he had examined the title he asked the satyricon is it something new whom is it by it is mine but i am not minded to follow in rufinus's tracks whose story i was about to tell thee nor in the tracks of fabricius veiento therefore no one knows of this tell no one of it but thou hast said thou dost not write verses said vinitius looking over the manuscript and here i observe prose and verse side by side when you read it pay attention to the description of the feast of trimalchion as for verses they disgust me since nero began to write them when vitellius wants to ease his stomach he uses little ivory sticks which he thrusts down his throat others for the same purpose use flamingo feathers steeped either in olive oil or in a decoction of some sort of grass possessing the same properties but my unique remedy is to read nero's verses afterwards i can praise them if not with a clear conscience at least with a clean stomach having said this he again stopped the litter at the jeweller Adomineus, and when he had arranged the question about the precious stones directed that they proceed straight to aulus's house on the way said he i will tell thee the story of rufinus as an instance of that to which self-conceit may bring an author but before he began his story the litters turned into the patrician quarter and they found themselves before aulus's dwelling a young and muscular gatekeeper opened before them the door leading to the main entrance over which a caged magpie received the guests with a piercing greeting of welcome on their way from the second vestibule to the court vinitius asked didst thou notice that the doorkeeper here goes unchained tis a strange house answered petronius in an undertone thou probably knowest that pomponia graecina has been suspected of belonging to a superstitious sect of the east that worships a person called christus it appears that crispinilla who cannot forgive pomponia for being satisfied during her life with a single husband performed the kindness a woman with a single husband at present in rome it is easier to find a plate of noricum mushrooms she was tried before a domestic court thou art right it is truly a strange house afterwards i will tell thee what i have seen and heard while in it they entered the great hall the slave standing at the entrance sent the butler to announce the visitors meanwhile servants presented them with chairs and placed stools under their feet petronius who had never been in the house imagined that in it there reigned an eternal gloom he consequently looked about him with surprise and even with a feeling of disappointment as he observed that the court produced on the contrary a pleasing impression from above through a large opening fell a sheaf of bright light which broke into a thousand sparks in the fountain a four-sided basin with a jet of water in the centre designed to catch the rain in bad weather was surrounded by anemones and lilies it was evident that the persons in the house loved lilies they grew in thick clumps of white and red blossoms there were also many sapphire-coloured irises whose tender leaves were silvered by the spray among the moist moss which concealed the lily-pots and the dense undergrowth of verdure were descried bronze statues of children and sea-birds in one corner a bronze roe inclined her greenish head turned grey by the moisture to the water as if wishing to drink 
the floor of the court was ornamented with mosaic the walls part faced with reddish marble and in part decorated with paintings representing trees fishes birds and griffins caressed the eye with their play of color the casing of the doors leading into the side chambers were ornamented with tortoise-shell and ivory beside the doors against the walls stood the statues of aulus's forefathers everything evidenced a peaceful plenty far removed from luxury but full of dignity petronius who lived in a style immeasurably more luxurious could not find a single thing that offended his taste he was about to point this out to vinitius when the doorkeeper suddenly pulled aside the curtain separating the hall from the terrace and aulus plautius appeared in the distance rapidly approaching he was a man declining toward the evening of life with grizzled yet vivacious head and an energetic face a trifle short but suggesting in spite of that the head of an eagle for the time being his face wore an expression of surprise the unexpected visit of nero's friend companion and confidant alarmed him somewhat petronius was a man too observant and worldly not to notice this therefore after the first greetings he declared with all the eloquence and amiability he could summon that he came to express his gratitude for the hospitality shown in this house to his sister's son that gratitude alone had prompted the visit and that his long acquaintance with aulus had inspired him with this audacity aulus in return assured him that he was welcome as for the gratitude he aulus considered himself in his debt as although petronius of a truth would not guess what service he had rendered him in fact petronius did not guess to no purpose did he raise his nut-brown eyes did he strain his mind in an effort to recall the slightest service he had shown aulus or any one else he could remember none except that it might be the one which he was about to render vinitius perhaps something of the kind had happened in spite of himself and without his knowing it i love and admire vespasian and you saved his life when he was unfortunate enough to fall asleep during one of caesar's recitals he slept to his own good fortune replied petronius in that he did not hear the verses i will not deny however that this blessing might not have turned out unfortunately bronzebeard was for dispatching a centurion to him at once to advise him in a friendly way to open his veins and thou petronius laughed him out of it yes or to be more truthful i did the contrary i told him that orpheus knew how to lull the wild beasts to slumber consequently his triumph would have been still more complete if he had succeeded in putting vespasian to sleep it is possible to reprove ahenobarbus provided that to a modicum of reproof there be added a large amount of flattery her imperial highness poppaea understands this very well alas such is the way of the times observed aulus two of my front teeth are missing knocked out by a stone thrown by a british slinger on this account i whistle when i speak nevertheless i consider the days spent by me in britain the happiest of my life because they were victorious vinitius hastened to add but petronius fearing that the veteran might begin his long tales of the wars changed the topic of conversation in the environs of Prineste, the inhabitants had found a dead wolf cub with two heads and three days ago during the storm the lightning knocked off a corner of the temple of luna an unusual phenomenon so late in the fall one cotter who told me this went on to say that the priests of the temple of luna regard this as a sign of the fall of a city or at least the ruin of a great house which ruin may only be prevented by extraordinary sacrificial offerings 
aulus when he had heard what petronius said remarked that portents of that kind ought not to be disregarded no wonder that the gods have been angered by the incalculable evils and in such cases one must offer propitiatory sacrifices to this petronius objected thy house plautius is not particularly great although many live in it and my house although indeed much too large for so unworthy an owner is in itself also not large but if ruin threatens as great a house as for instance the domus transitoria is it not worth our while to make offerings to save it plautius made no answer to this question and his silence offended petronius because although he had lost the capacity of distinguishing good from evil he had never been a spy and it was possible to speak to him without fear therefore he again changed the conversation and started to praise plautius's house and the excellent taste displayed in all the details tis an old homestead answered plautius i have altered nothing in it since i inherited it the curtain separating the hall from the covered terrace was thrown aside, and the house was open to view through its entire extent, so that, looking through the terrace and the peristyle and hall behind it, the gaze reached to the garden itself, which, as seen from a distance, looked like a brilliant picture in a dark frame. From the garden the sound of happy children's voices were brought to the court ah commander cried petronius allow us to enjoy at shorter range this genuine laughter which nowadays it is given to one to hear but rarely willingly answered plautius rising from his chair that is my little aulus and lygia playing ball as for the laughter i suppose petronius that thou spendest thy whole life in pleasure life deserves to be laughed at therefore i laugh at it replied petronius that laughter however sounds different as for that answered vinitius petronius does not laugh during the day rather he laughs all night talking thus they passed through the whole extent of the house and found themselves in the garden where lygia and little aulus were playing ball slaves called spheristae who were especially appointed for this game picked the balls up from the ground and handed them to the players petronius cast a passing glance at lygia little aulus seeing vinitius ran up to ask after his health the young man inclined his head as he passed the girl, who stood with a ball in her hand, her hair slightly disordered and somewhat out of breath and flushed. In the garden dining-room, upon which the ivy, vine, and honeysuckle threw their shade, sat Pomponia Grisina. The visitors hastened to greet her. Petronius, although he had never visited Aulus's house, knew her, as he had met her at Antistia's, the daughter of Rubelius Plautus, and also in the houses of Seneca and Polion he could not conceal a certain surprise which her sad but agreeable face the nobility of her bearing her movements and speech inspired in him to such a degree did pomponia contradict his ideas of women that even this man corrupt to the marrow self-confident as no one else in rome this man not only felt a certain admiration for her but even lost when at times he was in her presence his self-confidence and now, as he was thanking her for her care of Vinicius, he involuntarily addressed her as Lady, a title which never came to his mind when conversing with Calvia Crispinilla, Scribonia, Valeria, Solona, or with other women of the great world. When he had greeted her and expressed his gratitude, Petronius fell to complaining that Pomponia so seldom left her home, that she was not to be seen either in the circus or in the amphitheatre laying her hand on her husband's she answered him calmly we are both growing old and are beginning to appreciate the quiet of our home 
Petronius was about to reply, when Plautius added in his whistling voice, and we feel ourselves becoming more and more strangers among people who call even our roman gods by greek names for some time past the gods have been converted into mere figures of speech replied petronius lightly so since the greeks have taught us rhetoric it is easier for me to say for instance hera than juno when he said this he turned his gaze toward pomponia as if to explain that in her presence he could think of no other divinity then he started to complain of what she had said of old age to be sure people grow old quickly but not those who lead her kind of life besides there are faces of which saturn seems to remember nothing petronius spoke with a certain degree of sincerity for pomponia Grisina, although she had already passed the meridian nevertheless retained a fair freshness of face and as she possessed a small head and delicate features presented at times in spite of her sombre dress her sedateness and pensiveness the impression of a quite young woman in the interval little aulus who had become extraordinarily friendly with vinitius while he was in the house came up to the young patrician to invite him to play ball lygia herself followed the boy into the dining-room under the ivy shade with the light sparkling and trembling on her face she seemed to petronius to be much more beautiful than he had first seen her and in very fact nymph-like still without exchanging a word with her he rose and bowing began to quote in place of the customary greeting the words in which odysseus saluted nausicaa if thou art one of the gods queen of the broad heaven then only from artemis the great daughter of zeus can come the beauty of that face and the dignity of that stature if thou art born of mortals if thou art under the power of the destiny of the living then blessed beyond words thy father and thy mother and blessed be thy brothers even pomponia was delighted with the exquisite courtesy of this man of the world lygia listened in embarrassment her face flushed she dared not lift her eyes but little by little a mischievous smile began to play about the corners of her mouth and her face reflected the struggle going on within between maiden modesty and a desire to answer the latter evidently won for looking suddenly up at petronius she answered him in the very words of nausicaa she spoke without taking breath and in a tone of voice suggestive of the classroom stranger thou art neither wicked nor dull then turning quickly she ran away like a frightened bird now came his turn to be surprised he had not expected to hear homer's verses from the lips of a girl who according to vinitius was of barbarian birth he glanced in perplexity at pomponia but she could not give any explanation for she herself smilingly observed only the pride with which the elder alice's face was illuminated he could not hide his satisfaction in the first place he loved lygia as his own daughter in the second despite his old roman prejudices which compelled him to decry the new fashion of using the grecian language he none the less counted a knowledge of it a crown of social culture he himself had never been able to learn greek well and was secretly distressed at it therefore he was glad that this grand gentleman and writer who was prepared to consider his house as little more than barbarian had been answered in the language and verses of homer we have a teacher a greek said plautius turning to petronius he instructs our little one and the girl overhears the lessons she is a mere chit but a worthy one and my wife and i have become very fond of her petronius looked through the green of the ivy and the honeysuckle at the young people playing ball 
having laid off his toga retaining only his single tunic vinitius was throwing a ball which lygia caught as she stood opposite with uplifted hands at first she had not impressed petronius to whom she appeared scrawny but in the dining-room she impressed him quite differently she would he thought make a good model for aurora and as an expert he discerned that she possessed some peculiar latent charm he observed her in detail and appraised everything on its merits the rosy transparent face the fresh mouth created as it were for kissing the eyes blue as the azure sea and the alabaster whiteness of her forehead and the sumptuousness of her dark hair with its coils giving forth a reflection of amber or corinthian copper and the delicate neck and the divine roundness of her shoulders and the litheness the pose of her whole body which breathed the youth of may and of budding flowers in him spoke the artist and devotee of beauty who felt that under the statue of this maiden might be written the word spring suddenly he remembered chrysothemis and petronius was ready to laugh with disgust she seemed to him strangely faded with her hair besprinkled with golden powder with her blackened eyebrows like a withered falling rose but still all rome envied him his connection with chrysothemis then he compared poppaea to lygia and likewise this renowned beauty seemed to him soulless as a waxen mask in this girl with her tanagrian features there inhered not only spring but the effulgent spirit of life which radiated through her rosy form as light from a lamp Vinicius is right he reflected and my chrysothemis is old 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 as troy then turning to pomponia graecina and pointing to the garden said i now understand lady that with two such beings home seems dearer than the circus and the feasts in the palace on the palatine yes answered she looking aside at little aulus and lygia the old commander began to tell the girl's history and what he had heard many years ago from atelius hister about the lygian tribe that lived in the dark north the young people having finished their game of ball had been for some time walking along the sandy paths of the garden against the backdrop of myrtle and cypresses they seemed like three white statues lygia held little aulus by the hand when they had strolled for a short time they sat down on a bench beside the fish-pond situated in the centre of the garden little aulus almost immediately ran away to frighten the fish in the transparent water and vinicius resumed the conversation begun while they were walking yes said he in a low hesitating voice scarcely had i thrown aside the robe which the children of free-born citizens wear till they are seventeen than they sent me to the legions in asia i had no knowledge of rome or life or of love i had heard by heart a few verses of anacreon and horace but could not like petronius quote verses when the mind is mute with ecstasy and cannot express itself in its own words when i was a boy i was sent to the school of musonius who used to tell us that happiness consists in desiring what the gods wish and depends consequently upon our will but i think that there is another more sublime and sweeter happiness which does not depend on our will which love alone can give the gods themselves are striving to obtain it therefore i who have not yet put love to the test follow their example lygia and i also seek that one who would desire to give me bliss he paused for a time nothing was heard save the gentle splashing of the water into which little aulus was throwing stones to frighten the fish soon vinitius again spoke in a softer and lower voice 
thou hast probably heard of titus the son of vespasian it is related of him that when little more than a boy he fell so deeply in love with veronica that grief almost brought him to the grave i am capable of such love lygia wealth glory power all are smoke vanity a rich man can find another still richer the famous man is cast in the shadow by the greater glory of another the mighty may be conquered by one more mighty but can caesar himself or one of the gods seek to know greater delight can he feel happier than a mere mortal when at his breast a beloved breast is breathing when he kisses beloved lips consequently love makes us equal with the gods lygia she listened disturbed astonished and yet as if she were hearkening to the sounds of a grecian flute or a lyre at certain moments it seemed to her that vinitius was singing a marvellous song which poured itself into her ear set her blood surging strove to freeze her heart frightened yet filled with an uncomprehended joy but in addition it seemed to her that he spoke of something which was already latent in her but something which she could not explain she felt that he was arousing in her something which had been sleeping in her heart and that from that instant confused dreams began to dispose themselves in a form which was becoming more definite more fascinating more beautiful meanwhile the sun had long passed the tiber and stood low over the janiculum hill a purple light illuminated the motionless cypresses as if permeating the whole air lygia raised her light blue eyes eyes that seemed just to have been awakened from sleep to vinitius and all at once in the glow of the sunset he bent over her with an entreaty trembling in his gaze and appeared to her more beautiful than any human being or any of the gods of greece or rome whose statues she had seen on the pediment of the temple he gently seized her arm above the elbow and asked canst thou not guess lygia why i tell thee this no she whispered so low that vinitius could scarcely hear her but he did not believe her and drawing her arm still more vigorously he would have pressed her to his heart which in the glow of passion awakened by the beauty of the girl was beating like a hammer he would have made her ardent declarations were it not that the elder aulus appeared on the myrtle framed path sun is setting he said be careful of the evening cold and do not trifle with libitina the goddess of funerals nay answered vinitius although i have not yet resumed my toga i do not feel the cold but over the hill even now one sees but half the sun's disk continued the old warrior in a warning voice we have not here the favourable climate of sicily where at evening the people assemble in the market square that they may salute the setting phoebus with a parting song forgetting that but a moment before he had warned them against libitina plautius began to speak about sicily where he had estates and extensive farms to which he was much attached he mentioned also that he thought many times of moving to sicily and there spending the remainder of his life in quietness he whose head has been whitened by many winters has no further need of frosts the leaves are not yet falling from the trees and the sky smiles on the city lovingly but when the grapevine grows sere when the snow falls on the alban hills and the gods with piercing winds visit the campania he perhaps might remove with his whole household to his retired country farm can it be that thou wishest to leave rome asked vinitius in alarm for a long time i have been striving to that end answered aulus because it is quieter and safer he began again to praise his garden his herds his house hidden in the verdant hills where buzzed swarms of bees 
vinitius however was not tempted by the bucolic picture and thinking only that he would be deprived of lygia looked aside towards petronius as if salvation could come from him alone meanwhile petronius seated near pomponia enjoyed the view of the setting sun the garden and the people standing in the garden against the dark background of the myrtles their white garments were bathed with the golden reflection of the sunset the evening light which had previously empurpled the horizon began to change to violet and then to opal the zenith of the heavenly dome became lilac covered the dark silhouettes of the cypresses were defined still more strictly than in the day among the people in the trees and in the whole garden reigned an evening calm petronius was astonished by this calm especially at that of the people there passed over the features of pomponia of aulus their son and of lygia a something which he had never noticed on the faces which surrounded him daily or more correctly nightly the life led by every one here filled as it were the whole soul with light and instilled it with a certain peace and tranquillity he reflected with a degree of wonder that there existed a beauty and delight which he who was constantly seeking for beauty and delight might not discover he could hardly disguise this thought and turning to pomponia he said i was considering how unlike is your world to that which nero rules she turned her slight face to the evening light and replied with simplicity the world is ruled not by nero but by god the conversation was interrupted near the dining-room in the avenue was heard the footsteps of the old commander of vinitius lygia and little aulus but before they came up petronius asked which means that thou believest in the gods pomponia i believe in god who is one almighty all-merciful answered the wife of aulus plautius end of part one chapter two